You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Today's guest is a great friend that I met back in 2017. We met back in the day when Evercoach was like a newer thing. Yeah. Right? We started in 2015, so... Yeah, and I met you in 2017. So yeah, it was like... So it was just first getting off the ground. Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And now it is flying. Evercoach is flying. Yeah. So you said that you're just now graduating, I think you said 1,300 students? 1,300 students graduated in about two weeks from our certification on life coaching. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to go really far with this question, but what's like your purpose that you've identified for your own life? Because this is huge. Like what you're doing is huge. And I can see it's just going to be so much more. Like I see, I feel the direction that you're going with it and I see how valuable it is. And I'm curious at the pace that you're going, there must be something massive that you feel that you're moving towards? What is that? So I questioned myself a long time ago. So what's the purpose of life, right? And purpose of life for me is about living in your greatest joy all day, every day. And if anything doesn't align with that, you shouldn't be doing it. I know it sounds really metaphysical. It sounds a little out there and it sounds like attitude sound like a little bit like that's not really possible, but that's really how I create my reality pretty much every day, all day, is I go, here is an opportunity or here is something that I want to do. Does that sound exciting? Will this be more fun? Will this be more exciting? Will this be more playful? And if the answer is yes, I want to do it. And then I want to find a way to do it. It may be happening right now. It may happen in six months. It may happen in six years. I'm not attached to the timeline of it. I'm more attached to the experience of it. Mm-hmm. So everything that is done- whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Let that land one more time. You're not attached to the timeline of it. You're attached to the experience of it. Yes. Mm. That simply means if you have to take one step further into that is more and more people, because of the conversation around goals and purpose, have an idea of a number or a thing that they need to get to. And that becomes the timeline as well. It's like, hey, I want to impact a thousand people. And now the number becomes a thing. And then you have layered up by saying in five years. Because... That's what we have been told. Goals should be specific. Like be specific, otherwise the universe doesn't know how to manifest it. What I've realized, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, once they recognize that it will be important, is that yes, universe will manifest it, but do you really care if there were a thousand people in five years or do you really care that you have a fucking good time doing it? Mm. Right, because it will be specific, right? Is it specific to you want to get to that number or is it more specific to I want to have a fucking amazing time, right? So for me, it's more important that I have a really good time, really amazing time, fucking amazing time for that matter. And it's okay if it's not a thousand people and it's okay if it's not in five years. It does not matter. Like it, like the number is irrelevant to me because that's not what forms my experience. The journey what forms my experience. So I rather concentrate my effort towards the journey and say, how about we do this? And we do this with the greatest fun, joy thing that we can do. And then if it results to money and impact and fame and whatever, great, it's bonus. It's not necessarily why I do it. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I've realized that my wiring has changed dramatically, which is why I don't have urgency, but I am urgent. You know, like I'm not, I'm not pushing myself to, I need to achieve this by now. But everything is because it's for joy. And what makes you feel more alive is when things are happening, right? You're not feeling alive when you're just sitting and watching TV. There's no aliveness in that. It's more, you know, very passive. It's not fun. But when you're alive and you're engaged in a conversation, when you're engaged in something that's creating, something that challenges you. And that only happens when everything's urgent, mm-hmm. right? Everything's urgent. Relationship mm-hmm. is urgent. Podcast is urgent. Drinking water is urgent. Running is urgent. Going to work out is urgent. Taking a walk with your wife for an hour is urgent. And because it's urgent, it makes you feel alive because it's happening right right now, right then. I have several layers of questions to come off of that that I know Mm -hmm. are going to result in such beautiful, beautiful things for people to learn. The first one I want to get into is, so this is what you've created now. 
And if anyone were to look at your life from an objective point of view, they'd be like, this dude is fucking killing it. Mm -hmm. This is like truly living your dharma, if you will. Mm -hmm. I know that wasn't always the case. I don't know the whole backstory around this. I know you've always had a very commanding presence. I know you've always been really good at curating and organizing people, things, ideas, right? And it's very clear in the way even that you look at people and just the the look in your eyes. It's like you're always processing and organizing thoughts and ideas. And that's been a process over time to kind of open up to that or, or deepen into that ability of yours, right? Mm-hmm. I would say so. I think it is a common experience is when you're growing up as a child, when I was growing up as a child, I grew up in India. And in India, when you grow up, it's all about getting the grades and getting degrees because that's your way out. Let's be very real. It's probably still true in most parts of the country, back in India at least. Get your degree so you can get a good job and you can get yourself out of that lower middle class to lower class, which is basically a barely surviving kind of income to at least to a level where you can call yourself middle class. So you have enough to take care of your kids and yourself and save a little to be able to travel a little and experience life a little bit more. So I grew up in that reality. And when you grow up in that reality, most of the words that are used around you are not what is possible, but it's more about how do we get out of this, Mm. right? So it's very problem focused. It's not creation focused. And because of that, very early on in my life, I was always very much in problem-solving mode, always, and wanted to get out of that situation, which was my initial driver of initial change that happened. And somewhere along the journey, I met amazing coaches throughout my life. It's uh, You could say it was fortune, you could say it was just everybody finds them, some people see, some people don't, however you want to believe about it. But what happened was I met these amazing people who were willing to tell me certain ideas that were not available to me at that time. So I would meet this person in a student organization that introduced me to the idea of books. Say, you know what you can do? You can read a book. And before that, books was more about you do it because you need to get grades. You didn't read books or I didn't read books. I didn't see any value in them. But this person gave me simple books like Who Moved My Cheese, which is so like 101. But he was like, read this book. It'll help you understand change better. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And those little tiny books is how I started reading books. And that alone was transformative for me. And that changed my perspective of instead of saying, I know the answer to saying, I can find the answer. And I think when you're finding the answer, you're always curious Mm -hmm. because you're never certain about what's the answer. And it makes you less egoistic in some way, or at least I feel like I'm not driven by, let me tell you what is the truth. I'm more driven by, oh, tell me more. Let's get curious about this. What is happening here? What is the conversation? What are you doing? What is he doing? What is she doing, right? It makes just a little bit more human as an experience as well. And that I think keeps me curious to some degree, which is why I'm not attached to like, and and this is something that, that I do in my partnerships, is anytime I want to do a partnership, it's always, how do I get you to win first? How do you win in this partnership? And if you will win, I know I will win anyways, Mm. right? So it's very easy to do a partnership with me because I'm not trying to say, oh, what do I get out of this? That's not how we talk. We usually go, what will make you feel like you'll win? This, let's get you to this place. And the other person then goes, this person's easy. Let me give him what he wants as well. It's very easy as a conversation. Both of us can win. There's no reason to believe only one can. And that makes partnerships easy. That makes contracts easy. That makes people saying yes easy because... Very rarely do you meet people where people are interested in you winning. Everybody has been taught negotiation in a way where it's like, get the most from the table, right? There's a table, there's a set number of coins on the table. How do I take the most number of coins, Mm. right? When you take most number of coins, you leave resentment on the table. Mm. Versus if I say, let's see what's the best way we can split these coins. Like maybe you can take a few extra coins till the time I'm not feeling resentful. Of course, that shouldn't work. But let's figure out what's the best way to split these coins where both of us can win. So there's no resentment left on the table. There is no pain left on the table. There's no somebody feeling like I got shortchanged on the table. It's very mutual. It's very loving. Hmm. So what's really fascinating, I'm going to take a level deeper on this question, which by the way, all of those answers were absolute fire. And I'm learning so much right now. And I feel like you're also speaking at such a high level of conceptual and experiential or even embodied knowledge right now. And so my question is kind of about that. So 
you've developed your ability to lead, your ability to create, your ability to ask these questions, right? To get to this point where you're now like, wow, I really want this other person to win. And I know how to make that happen. And not only do I know how to make sure we both get coins off the table, but I know how to make sure there's even more coins on the table because of the mindset and the way we're doing that. So there's this idea, and I want to hear the, I'm assuming, beautiful model you've probably built around every idea, (laughs) but this one in particular, where I've had a long time in my life where I say there's steps to everything, and you can't really skip steps, has been what I've believed. I don't know if that's true. And I really want to hear your thought model on this. So for instance, I always heard the quality of the questions you ask determines the quality of your life. And when I was much younger, and I would hear that at say 18, I was very confused at what that meant. I I didn't understand. And over time, I saw people, right, where they were progressively, I would recognize like, what's the level beyond the question that I'm asking? And I I became, I would even say obsessed with this Mm -hmm. idea of how to ask better questions so that you can get better results. So for instance, like you said, in that lower middle class in India, how can I get good grades so that I can get a job, so that I can get out of this lower middle class and maybe travel a little bit? And that was the kind of the dream, right? And that was the questions you were asking would reflect eventually getting to that dream. And then there's like the next level where you met a coach and they start giving you these books. And then it was like, oh, How could I eventually, you got to this point of like, how can I have a fucking amazing life and enjoy the process of whatever it is that I feel called to do and whatever is like showing up for me? How can I just enjoy that tremendously? There was clearly a lot of steps between getting good grades in India and now. So my perspective has always been or has been until now, until this moment maybe, (laughs) that there's those steps and everyone to some extent needs to hit those steps so that they can go to that next level, and then go to that next level of these questions. I'm not sure that that's the truth. There may be a way to just go from here to there. And there's certain factors, right? So a program, like you might teach an Evercoach, could rapidly move someone through those steps. Meeting a certain mentor, right? So if my 18-year-old self met you right now, that might rapidly evolve me through those steps, which is the truth, I think, of everyone to some extent, right? So I guess my question for you is just riff on that idea of Mm -hmm. evolution and steps and what you feel. My curiosity would stay with, are there really steps or there steps or path or journey of the person? So let's take our example. We had two guys sitting across the table, two very different life experiences. My step one is most definitely about 80% probability is different than your step one that you took. And then my step five, I might have taken 50,000 steps to get to where I am, and you may have taken 5,000 to get to where you are, right? And we may be at the same place, but I took a longer path, you took a shorter path. I don't think you can give step-by-step to someone. You can give an idea of the steps, is to say fundamental principles more so than steps, because steps change by where you are in the journey, where you're starting, where you're starting culturally, where you're starting economically, where you're starting based on where you want to go, psychologically, spiritually. We are all different where we are right now, where wherever we are right now. So our next few steps are going to look very different. So there's no step-by-step per se where you can say, here are five steps to get to anything. But I do agree with the second part of your question, which is the quality of your questions can change the quality of your life, the potential at least for it. And then it's more about how deep you're willing to go on the deep end and willing to be uncomfortable in the answers that will come through for a very interesting, difficult question often. So I think the only step that I would say, at least from my point of view, at least from my experience of life and or what I have experienced in different conversations, is the next step is always, how can I be a little bit more courageous? Mm. A little bit more, mm. more courageous to take one step further than what I've taken as of now. And if you can have that courage, I think the next step, whatever it might be, will reveal itself. And then you ask the same question again and keep asking that question in the journey of life in the area you want to develop. Because courage is not only limited to money. You need courage to have a better relationship or quit a relationship that's not working. You need courage to be able to organize your health. 
you need courage to be a better parent because a lot of the things that we know the reality of the world right now or what we feel is the reality of the world is just perceptions and reflections of other people's understanding of the world. And a lot of it is still in discovery. Science is in discovery, psychology is in discovery, therapy is in discovery, coaching definitely is discovery. And anybody who says, no, absolutely everything is known scientifically, it's not. Like Big Bang Theory is a theory, right? And there's no way to really actively prove it except for when we are actively able to prove it. But it's a solid enough theory that we can work with it, Mm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff is very theoretical, until proven otherwise. And we we roll with it because we go, that seems like a fair explanation. Let's work with this for now because there's no way we can have all the answers and then wait for the answers to make a move. We got to make a move based on what we know and then we work from it. There's an interesting, uh, very recently I was exposed to the work of this gentleman called Alfred Adler. I may be mispronouncing his name, but He's basically in the same realm as uh, Freud and, and all these guys who are more popular. And they're more popular and their opinions are the ones that form therapy. Past defines the present, present defi- and present defines the future or past defines the future. However, different depending on who you're talking to. So that's very classic Freudian philosophy, right? This other gentleman, Alfred, said a different thing. He said, there is no past. It's only now. If you believe in the present in this moment... If you say that right now I'm not going to let my past influence nothing, despite whatever trauma I had, you've changed. And your present is the only thing that matters. Present defines the future and present defines present. You should forget about your past and stop talking about it. I'm not saying one of them is right or wrong. What I'm saying is the two theories. You could try each one of them and see which one works. What I found recently is if you actually listen to this less popular opinion and try to practice it for a hot minute, you tend to find you stop yourself a lot less. You can be a lot more courageous in that moment because you could go, "Eh, my past is not defining my future. I can still go out and reach out to that girl that I really like, even if I was rejected before because my past doesn't define my future. I'm a new person. I know now how to get rejection, how to handle it. I can move on from there. So it doesn't stop you from dating people. It actually encourages you to dating people. So it's, again, the point really being, we are an evolving species. Everything is evolving. Let's get curious about how we can evolve. The quality of the question you're going to ask yourself will give you the courage to find the next answer. A great question that is very popular, especially in the abundance community or entrepreneurial community, is ask yourself how you'll make your annual income as your monthly income. Mm-hmm. If you make $10,000 a year, ask yourself, how can I make 10000 a month? If you make 100000 ask how to make 100000 a month and then turn it into a day. How do I make $100,000 in a day? It sounds extremely uncomfortable for anyone, but that's how you start your brain, your mind, your psychology, your spirit to move towards a direction to go, oh, let's get curious. How does that happen? I have no idea. That's great, but let's lean into it. Let's work with it and, and not make it stressful, but make it playful. And I think you're onto something. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. So... Then take me on a journey. You said that you're not going to say it as steps, and I love that. I am reframing that completely, and I have that new structure that I'm slowly building, and I want to ask you some more questions to kind of flesh that out for myself. So it's like, instead of thinking of it as steps, think of it as like the, the A, quality of questions increasing. And it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to think about increasing quality of questions. But the most prevalent thing that you said is these principles that sort of evolve over time, right? So one principle as an 18-year-old Skip might have been something like, let me think about what 18-year-old Skip would have said. When I was trying to improve my life, I would have said, what's the thing I'm most enthusiastic and curious about? I think I used to say that back then. And that's the thing to go for. Now that you've presented that idea, I wouldn't necessarily look at that as a step. I would look at that as a principle that I've then built on right? Like a terrace, like in Machu Picchu is like, maybe that was the lowest terrace that I started with that is still very present and very relevant yeah. that will give like a lot of beautiful information. And then you've built other principles into this, right? So by the way you said it, I'm assuming you have an understanding of some universal principles that we might word them in different ways, mm-hmm. right? And I'm starting to connect the dots here too, is like Evercoach in general, it's all it is, is universal principles that you're using essentially different musicians to play Mm -hmm. different genres of music for people to teach similar things and to lead them to similar places, which is this, how can I enjoy a fucking amazing life? Is that Mm -hmm. correct? 
Yeah. Yeah. You, absolutely. That could be one of the principles that you work with. Mm-hmm. Principles, again, they vary by person because our personal experiences are different. I do want to comment something about steps. You do need steps for skill building and they can be well-defined. And they can be well-defined mostly because they've been studied enough that they're possible enough to be made into steps. So say, for example, if you want to be more confident, there's steps to it. That's just, that's easy. That's not life philosophy. That's a skill you're building. And now people can challenge if confidence is a skill or a feeling, but I see it as a skill. Most things are as a skill. Any skill can have steps and skill lead to the quality of life that you create. And if we want to break that down a little bit, the difference between a skill and a feeling is really not that different eventually because um, I forget the name of the, the guy right now that Jordan Peterson works with up in, I believe, Toronto. They say there's like four levels of knowledge, mm-hmm. and which which eventually becomes a skill. And the first one is essentially I'm I'm gonna butcher like his phraseology, but I have my own, which is mm-hmm. conceptual knowledge, which mm-hmm. is like you've you've learned that it's an idea. Mm-hmm. You're not living that idea. You have not practiced that idea, mm-hmm. but it is an idea. So confidence, supreme confidence, the way that Ajit shows up and just speaks about these things, mm-hmm. people are now like, whoa, this is a very confident person who speaks with such, let's call it poise and practiced experiential wisdom, right? So that's conceptual. They now know that that's available to them at some point or up to certain people. The second level of it is practicing that, right? So this is like where you're going through the experiences of it. So experiential knowledge. The third level of it is like embodied knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're like, okay, I've practiced it a lot. Now I can just sit in an interview and just do it. And then the fourth level of it that I would say of these principles is like playful knowledge where it's like you've embodied it for long enough to now be where you're also at, which is like, it's a theory. I'm not sure. There's lots of, you've embodied multiple principles that can all sit next to each other and you can hold multiple perspectives casually at once. Yes, and this is this great discovery. I'm learning about the four levels. I wasn't aware of that. I know that the model of conscious and unconscious competence, which is similar to what you just said, but it doesn't explain or expose or discover the final level that you said, which was playful element that you said. So I still have to think about it. I don't know if that level is clear for me, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious about it. So I'm definitely interested to learn more about what that is. So I've got a very practical example. Mm -hmm. When I was healing injuries for all those years, right, with people, Mm -hmm. when I first learned with myself that my thing went gone, Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's possible. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So then I tried to recreate it with other people and was unsuccessful for the most part in the beginning. And then, but I was practicing. I was going through that experiential side of it. And then eventually I got to a place where it was very successful consistently. Let's call it 99% of the time eventually, right? And the 1% was like exceptions that were really out of the ordinary. So then that's where I started to teach when I was teaching people what I would consider mastery at that level, Mm -hmm. which was given the same set of circumstances, someone shows up with the same issues in the same way, I'll make the same decision every time because it's an algorithm of how to help them. Mm -hmm. Eventually, over time, I started almost being more playful with that. And I started to define mastery as almost the exact opposite, which is given the same set of circumstances, the same person, same situation, I'll make radically different decisions every time because I don't know what the fastest route is. So I'm just always going to play with the variables, which actually sped up the results Mm -hmm. to get to the point where I was like, oh, I'm going to see you one time. And we're just going to, that's all it's ever going to take because we will just go until we figure it out, right? And that's like a very isolated, very concrete example. And that's like how I kind of have learned that over time. So for instance, someone hires me to do a video thing, or if I feel called to do a video thing, you would think like, oh, here's the formula for making content. And at one point I was like, yeah, there is totally a formula. And I taught it, it was called formula filmmaking. That was like Mm -hmm. the first couple of classes I taught, Mm -hmm. which eventually became inspiring the world through media, which is like making content that lasts forever, that really inspires people and gives them an emotion rather than an understanding or both ideally. And so is that give you some more? Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of agree. I think that's evolution of understanding of anything really is, Mm. I guess, right? Because what you're really saying is you have so much understanding of something is you're willing to play with it, Mm. right? It's like us playing with or me playing with coaching methodologies at this point is to say, yeah, there is is all of that and I can probably get anybody any result fairly quickly, but that 
doesn't mean you stop expanding. That actually means you need to keep expanding because there is more to be discovered. It's curiosity, which I think is the undertone and the final step. You're right. Mm. Seems accurate to me, yes. Fascinating. So then you presented a question earlier, which you said is maybe one of the most powerful questions that someone could ask, which is that question, at least in the financial category of like, okay, let's say you make $100,000 a year. How could you make it in a month? How could you make it in a day? That's a very powerful question that you could apply to any category of life, of course, right? What are some other really, really powerful principle-based questions like that that we can use? And specifically so that I can go back and listen to this interview and do it for myself. (laughs) Uh, Categorically, we'll have to think, but say for one example is one of the questions that were really powerful to me, and it will change from the person to person, but when I had my daughter about a year ago, literally to the date, like her birthday was yesterday, about a month after she was born, I was sitting in meditation and a question occurred to me, which was, how would I like to be? if my kids decide to have grandkids, right? Mm. So what would I, what would my role be, right? What kind of grandparent would I be? So when I'm 75, 85, like who knows, right? And I'm like, what kind of person I will be? And I was like, oh yeah, I'll be the, you know, the granddad that plays, you know, like I go on a hike with my kid and I can really keep up with them. We can have jokes together. I can hold them for hours if the kids need help or whatever. You know, just like any grandfatherly like answer that you would get. And then... <laughs> I was like, and I can't do any of it if I stay the way I am right now, if my body is the way it is right now. Because at the time, I wasn't working out. I was eating whatever I wanted to eat. You know, it was, I mean, it was not fast food, not eating McDonald's and stuff, but it wasn't very clean either, right? There was no idea of hydration. Now I won't leave without my bottle anywhere. But at that time, that wasn't a thing. It was like, I didn't understand biology and aging generally. And so I was like, holy shit, how would I like to be when I'm 75 years old? And if I can't be that today, then I won't be there at 75. There's nothing that one day I'll wake up and say, oh, now I'm going to work on my 75-year-old version of myself. That's us today. If my 38, 37-year-old version is not living the life that the 75-year-old needs to live, I'm not going to start to suddenly start living at 75, that age, right? It's not going to happen. And so that was powerful for me because it switched my state. It gave me a vision of myself in a way that I started changing my now. Mm -hmm. Because I go, oh, now is the time that you live that life that will help you live that life at that time. So that was powerful for me. That was in the health category. How would you like to live at 75? Or let's say, Put a number in your mind. If you have to think about what age do you die? Think of that age, whatever it was. It usually comes from whenever your grandparents died, most likely. Or if your parents have passed, usually that's the age that people pick. They trade it for two, three years, but that's basically usually their set point or default point that they have set for themselves. So in my family, most adults have died before 70, right? So that's default set point. Then you ask yourself, well, if you were 70 at that age, let's say you were and you were dying, how would you be? And when you get that answer for yourself, you usually tend to say, oh, I'm going to be like playful. I'll be hanging out with my kids. I'll be doing that. I'll be traveling the world. All the dreams that you're trying to fulfill right now, you put it on the 70-year-old self, right? You go, okay, I would be doing all of that when I would I would be 70. And then you ask yourself, if that will be your 70-year-old self, you can't die at that age. If you're traveling, if you're having fun, if you're having a ball with your friends, if you're exercising, if you're hiking, if you have the best sex of your life, well, you're not going to die at 70. You're going to probably die at 85, 90. And that already moves you further in your health category because you suddenly see yourself as older, but more vibrant as a person. You also ask questions like the one that I had, which is how would you be at a 75-year-old self? Well, if you're going to be vibrant, well, you got to start planning that route. It changes your state. It changes your health completely. If you're looking for a relationship, a question would be, what is it that how I want to be loved? What does even love mean for me? Right? Which is a very, again, a question that most people don't answer. It's like we associate love to our full needs being met most of the time. But what does love really mean for me? Mm-hmm. What does being in a loving space, a loving person mean for me? What would they do for me? And what would I do for them? Right? And that and would change... Even- at 75, Even at 75, in this ideal partnership, like yeah. how would we have built it? What would that look like? What life would we have created? What habits would be there? Yeah. See, so the questions would evolve with the person, right? You you are going, hey, 
not only just how it is now, how would it be 75? That's a powerful question right there. So powerful questions are also contextual. They're not never like in isolation because the most powerful question is usually what next or tell me more. Mm, how could isolated. I be more courageous right now? Yeah. What's the next No, thing? just an open-ended question that simply mm. says why, what next, tell me more. These are the most powerful questions because when you're exploring anything, if you ask why right after that, so why at 75 you want to have the most amazing sex of your life? It will reveal a whole different set of things for you, right? Why is that so important to you? And asking why to that will take you one step deeper. And you can keep doing that practice and make the question even more and more powerful because it really finds who you truly are. And a powerful question really begs that all the time is to say, who are you truly? Let's find that. The more you find that, the more powerful it gets because it allows you to really lean into yourself and get mm -hmm. comfortable with yourself. And I think that's the key to a beautiful life is more you understand yourself, the more you stop the bullshit in a way. So yeah. let, can we dig into that? I would, I would like to know your wisdom on the bullshit. So let's say someone asks that question. They see this interview. They're so deeply inspired by the way that you present the things. They dig into the really endless, endless mountain of Ajit Nawalka's work in the world. And they're like, <laughs> okay, clearly I'm obsessed with this guy and I want to learn more. And they ask themselves the question, at 75, who is the person that I want to be? What experiences have they had and are they going to have? How are they going to show up in the world? Maybe in every category. This is the, the way they're presenting it to themselves. And they find resistance in many ways. Or they ask themselves, we can even do a simpler question, how can I make $100,000 in a month or in a day? And they find potential answers and are yet not able to create that reality. Walk me through the process that you would bring yourself through or bring other people through. So think about compass and a ship in an ocean in the old times, right? Asking yourself this question, how I want to be 75, is like resetting your compass to north. And then still sailing in that ship with all the ups and downs and good and bad and, you know, backlashes, whatever, even breaking down of ship and then rebuilding it or whatever that is you had to do through your entire course of life is your life, right? So the compass's job is just to make sure you're still going north. But the ship's going to sail the way it's going to sail. It's going to be choppy waters. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, if it would be, it would be boring as hell, like slow sail, yeah, you could do it for an hour, but after a point, it's like, what's the point of sailing if the water is never going to really challenge you? So, yes, it's important to know the compass. We need to set the intention. We need to set the compass so we know what we are creating. At the same point in time, we must recognize that there is more power, more the universe that is playing at it than you are. And a lot of the times, you can't even see how it's all coming through. This morning, I was on call with these 13, 1400 people, we are graduating. And one of the examples I shared with them, which I want to share in this context is, so I, I set myself up to, it was around 2015, I was uh, really not in the state of, right before starting Evercoach, I was I was running Mind Valley, CEO of that company, and, and I was not in a good state. I was really happy with my work, I was really happy with everything I was creating, but nothing else, All right? So I asked myself this question of, what am I doing with my life? got me to quit everything and so on and so forth. And then I, of course, set an intention like I'm sharing with everyone. I'm like, hey, I would like to have this beautiful life. I would love to have a partner that supports and understands me, is equally passionate about creating things as I am, which my now partner is. I want to be living globally, be able to travel, have the freedom that I want to have, and have the freedom to not travel when I don't want to. Like, I don't want to be obligated for it. I want to have a business that's very independent. I can choose to turn it up, turn it down, and so on and so forth. I set out whatever my intentions were, and I said, this is what I want to create in my life. Now, when I set that intention up, if I would say, all right, now give me all of that. That wasn't going to happen. Here is how universe works. Universe says, okay, thank you for directing me what you want to create. Now, let me line up all the resources, right? Because you're going to need a great partner for this. You're going to need kids. You're going to need some level of business intelligence. You're going to need some skills that you have to develop still. You have to get over your shit, right? You have to learn new mindsets. You'll have to write books, whatever. Like there were many things that need to come together for me to be today at that state where I say, yeah, I'm very pretty. Like everything that I thought of, I think I have in my life right now. I don't, 
I do work that I love. I have a beautiful family. I have the greatest time. I travel when I want to travel. I travel really well. Like there's really, like life's good. Now I make life challenging. I go, oh no, I'm going to push through a new thing. But life doesn't ask me to do any of it. I'm doing it for a liveness of life, right? So what I'm really presenting with that is that's seven years later from when I decided. Seven years. Seven years is not a short period of time. People give up in seven days, 17 days, seven months. That's nothing in the timeline of your life. If let's say somebody listening to this episode is 30 years old, let's say on average, by that if you're 30 years old, you're more likely to live at, I think, 85 or maybe 95 at this point, based on just surveys and the predictions of medical field because of the advancements, you're likely to be close to 100 when you are looking at the, you know, dying and moving on type of situation. That means you've got 70 more years in your life. If you have a real dream that you want to fulfill, and you can't give it seven years when you have 70 more to go, I think we have got some flawed mathematics here, right? You're 30, you can spend seven years. You're 40, you can still invest seven years because you're probably gonna live on to 80, 90 at least. At least, you're good, good genetics, maybe even longer. In context of the life that you still have to live, it's a very small percentage to invest in the life that you always wanted. But people just give up so fast because we want the result because it's so life is so immediate right now. You can click Uber right now and get a car and get food and everything. So we feel like that's how universe should work as well. It's not how it works. You need too many things to come together for it to work. And universe has to create all those circumstances while you are getting that outcome. It's also a thing where one must understand, and I know it's a little bit metaphysical what I'm talking about, but let's say it was a pond where everybody's manifestations were going right? To things to happen, right? So I did say is I want to be worth $100 million in two years. Boom. It's one of the things, right? And then Skip says, I want to be worth $100 million in two years. Boom. Right? Both of us are going to the same pond and creating ripples. And sometimes the ripples we create are going to fight, right? Especially if let's say you're a friend, but let's say if Nita has an ambition, who's my partner, and I have a different ambition, we both are telling universe to create something, we both are great manifestors like every other human being on this planet. It's going to have a conflict. It's not going to come through fast because it's, you know, there's no synchronicity. Or even if it is, maybe both the dreams will come true, but that's why it's taking longer. And that's all right, too. I think there's a point in human society we have to get comfortable with the pace of life. Living is greater than your next year. Joy is greater than your next month. Don't worry about it so much. Let the experience of life be the experience of life. Enjoy and cherish it as much as possible. And the goals can happen great. If they don't happen, you're still going to have a good life. But I think we just attach ourselves so much to that number, somebody else's success, somebody else's car, somebody else's podcast, that we forget about like really living it and enjoying it. And I think that's the piece that is missing. Yes, to all of that. And Absolutely incredible. And I'm going to re-listen to all of that as well. And to give like concrete context to this, can you bring us through your own personal journey getting to this point? So you said seven years ago is when you were like, okay, I've figured out this one thing in my life, but everything else I have not figured out in the way that I would like it to be. And there's an awareness that has to happen there, right? That awareness wasn't necessarily there before. And then something happened that created that awareness that you were like, wow, I want these other things to be as great as this one part of my life. And you discovered there was this whole process that you were going to go through to, to do that and to call that in, right? But let's go all the way back. I'm so curious now that you've given us all this like incredible wisdom, how the Indian kid growing up who didn't read books to the first person who get, started giving you these silly books, you know, who took my cheese. Mm -hmm. How did you get from that? What, what was the process? So, you know, the intention here being that we create this like architecture or scaffolding that other people could look at to start to recognize what happened with you is what is happening in their own life, wherever they are on that scaffolding journey, right? Or that going inwards, I even like to think about it as. Mm -hmm. 
Can you kind of give me the bullet points of what happened that brought you to this point where now you're wearing this epic Aviator Nation smiley <laughs> sweater that I want to go and buy later today and that you just have this like beautiful family and beautiful life and now you're really living in this process of manifestation and creation is like always seeing the joy, even in the ups and downs. Like I remember when Isla was very young and you were tired all the time, but still thoroughly enjoying the tiredness of it. Can you give us that structure? Yes. And know that the structure will keep evolving because I'm not done yet, right? So so my evolution will also change and my priorities will change and my outcomes will change because my priorities will be different and so on and so forth. I think the, the foundation of the structure, the foundation of the pillar or the principles is is really to or at least the ones that I learned that helped me tremendously was there was a point uh, through these experiences where I learned education is not done in school. Education is actually done out of school. What you get at school is degrees, which may give you a specialized set of information that will allow you to do very special skills. But that's pretty much the job of education, which is school, which is not really education. It's more getting a degree. Education is actually done outside. And that's the key. So somebody watching this podcast is getting some education for sure. And even more so if they're doing it regularly, right? So that's the first part is to understand that education doesn't stop. And the people who you think have gotten really successful in whatever category or all categories are people who didn't stop learning at any point. They didn't stop educating themselves. They they stayed in the curiosity of what life is and stayed not only in curiosity. So one thing that I've seen is people read very tactical books all the time, which is great. But the thing that really forms a human being is philosophy. What's your philosophy for life? And most people can't answer that question. And it's not because they don't have one. They have one. They've just never thought about it. And because they haven't thought about it, they have not challenged it. And if because they have not challenged it, they haven't evolved that philosophy. That philosophy is based and rooted in some arbitrary thing that they might have gotten from their parents, their society, or whatever that is, right? But philosophy is what really makes you successful. Because philosophically, when you change, the training just is a follow-up of that, right? So first is read philosophy. If you don't start doing that. Read poetry, read uh, stories, or be engaged in stories, not just watch them passively, engaged in it. Even if you're watching a Marvel movie, if you really get curious about the emotion behind the movie, it's very interesting. It teaches you a lot about yourself, right? It sounds really silly and small, but it is very important to start looking at life more philosophically because it will make you happier as well and joyous as well because you'll know why you do things and why it's important. Certain things are important to you and certain things are not. Is there... For, yeah. for this level of what you're getting into, are there any book recommendations or like an entry point? If someone's like feeling like, oh, they, a fire just ignited when you said that, mm-hmm. is there an entry point that you'd recommend? Hmm. There's a book that you could try. And again, it's everybody's got a different, but there is one that is called Slowing Down to the Speed of Life. I might be missaying the statement exactly, but that's a good one to start with. Another one is Courage to be Disliked, which is based on the Alfred Adler philosophy that I was talking about. And there are many. Secret is also philosophical in some way. I know it's sometimes be over-exaggerated, but it's philosophical in some way. Think and Grow Rich is philosophical in some way. Again, how you read the book also matters. If you look at it as a step-by-step guide, it's a step-by-step guide. Mm-hmm. Don't look at it as a step-by-step guide because that's not what really makes it. What makes it is why those steps are there, mm. Right. So, for example, if you look at Think and Grow Rich and you go, oh, auto-suggestion, that's what I got to do. Well, you've missed the point. The point is repetition. Philosophically, it advocates saying you will forget things. Remember to remember. That's what it's really saying. It's not auto-suggestion as a technique. That's what people talk about. It's not about the technique. It's about the philosophy of the technique. It's about the principle of the technique. So there's another concept I'd like to put into this bucket and see what comes up for you along these lines, which is the idea of, let's call it vibration, Mm -hmm. and kind of where you're at and where you see yourself at, right? So being very objective with where you're at right now and then subjective about your dreams and like that 75-year-old self, where would he be? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, okay, I see the the gap there. I'm going to move in that direction. And in the health category, it just means like working out more and eating appropriately and following whatever plan for your body, right? So that's one side of it, which is like where your vibration is at, right? And then the other side of it 
is the capacity side of it, which is increasing your capacity and things. So one is like where you're at, and the other one is kind of what's the range you're you're capable of exploring or, or being with comfortably. Mm-hmm. So as an example, right, the dojo is a very physical way to like maintain or even increase people's vibrations or mm-hmm. um, playing with your kids you know, on a day where you're tired or taking a nap even, or going to the gym as a way to increase that vibration to like bring more energy into your life. And on the other side of it is capacity. Having a second child, having a third child, this increases your capacity. Starting a business like Evercoach, uh, adding more authors and more components to the business, you're constantly increasing your capacity. Going to the gym and lifting heavier weights increases capacity. And then over here is like where you're at, and over here is what you can handle. Mm-hmm. Oh, explore that. Is yes. that just? Um, I just. I, I'm now. I'm recognizing that if I throw anything at you, I'm going to get an improved <laughs> version of it back. So I'm just going to continue to throw things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's improved. It will be different, probably, and and a you're different perspective. It yeah, more it's depth an exploration. Yeah. So I think vibrationally, we are always moving. There is mm-hmm. definitely a different level of vibration that you get to in life if you consistently are able to maintain a vibration level. A vibration in a simpler word could also be just energetically how you feel in that moment, right? So if you are able to regulate your emotions a little bit better than what you are yesterday, you will experience the emotions that you want to experience more often, more often, more frequent, more faster. And because of that, your vibration will naturally be higher. It's like happier people are happier and happier more and more by simply working on the other emotions and saying, hey, how can I regulate this better? Doesn't mean that you won't experience it. Of course, you'll experience all emotions. The perspective and the approach to the experience changes, right? And so a bad emotion doesn't feel bad anymore. It's just an emotion that you're feeling. You recognize it, you appreciate it, and you move on. You're not attaching yourself to it. You're not dying on that hill. You're not angry for six hours. You're angry for six seconds or 16 minutes, but that's it, right? Or whatever the number is for everyone. And the more frequent and more often you can lean into the energy that fulfills you more, I think overall your vibration gets higher and higher just by that because the highest vibrations really are things like love and contribution and service and so forth. And thinking about the entire society and being mindful of the entire world and the universe per se. And those are all acts of love in some way, acts of freedom, acts of service in some way or another. And when that happens, I think naturally you go up the vibration scale. Now, I don't necessarily know Ken Wilber's vibration scale or somebody else's vibration scale or don't have to recall it, but the point really is kind of the same from my point of view at least, is that you're moving up the vibration scale. You and, have better and better emotions on yeah, a consistent basis. Yeah, because emotions kind of regulate our compasses of your energy in a way, right? You're feeling the anger energy, you're feeling the love energy, and the more you can lean into the energy that fulfills you, gives you joy, I think the better it gets and your vibration will get higher. Now, capacity, I feel, is infinite. I think we never from the point of view that you're looking at, you will see how much more capable you are. You almost have to test it. You almost have to say, I'm going to just do it and expand into it. And the reason why I say that is because I never thought I have the capacity to have two kids. Like, even after one kid, I was like, bang. Like, let's not do another kid, babe. Like, really, like this is, one was a lot. Now he's finally at an age where, you know, like he sleeps through the night, babe, let's not do this, right? Uh, Much less the capacity to have five. Yeah, you could, I could, I could. And it would be, if I lean into it, I probably can have five kids. Do I want to or not is a different conversation, right? It's, it's can you have the capacity? Absolutely. Do, do many people have five kids? Yes. Are they living their best life? Yes. Right? So, so capacity-wise, I think it's infinite. It's more about consciousness of saying or being conscious about saying how much I want to expand right now and where do I want to expand right now, right? The limitation that you have is a time limitation of I have only those many hours a day. Right. If it's important to me, I'm going to do it. If it's not important to me, I'm not going to do it. So don't commit to something that's not important to you. Right. There's an exercise I started doing very recently, which was more to check in on energy that I feel when I'm with someone. Right. So I was like, okay, I have I have a lot of connections in Austin, otherwise, and um, I was going I have all these connections, but I'm not like I'm committed to a few, but I'm also not really committed to a lot. And why is that the case? First of all. 
right? Because I love all of them, or seems like I love all of them. And then I started to go, okay, what do I feel when I meet this person? And I literally took out everybody's name. I wrote it on a Excel sheet and I started marking on a scale of one to 10 on do I feel energy after I met them? So it's a 10. Do I feel good? It's an eight. If I feel drained, it's a five or under. And I was like, oh shit, there are a bunch of people that are five and under. So I was like, why am I inviting them to my world? A lot of us live reactive life, right? It's like somebody came into our world, we're like, yeah, sure, come hang out. Right. I'm at least I am and Nita's like that, right? Come hang out. We're not necessarily like don't come to our universe type of people. Yeah, you're we're like pretty the chill. nexus of Austin. Yeah, it's like we're, mm-hmm. we're chill people. They're like, yeah, sure, come to the party, come hang out. Doesn't matter, you don't have kids. We have a kids' party, you wanna come by, they'll bounce house, we'll, you know, we'll get some snacks or something. Right. So it's it's kind of very chill and we are we like it that way. But also I recognize that some people don't give me energy. So I don't need to invest a lot of time with them. I don't have to say yes. I can say no. I can be proactive about it. The reason why I'm saying that in context of capacity is because most of our capacity is reactive as well. What if you were proactive about building capacity? What if instead of having the challenge come into life, we challenge life, right? If you challenge life, we'll build capacity. It's like, I don't have to start a new company, but I do it because I have, I'm having fun doing it. If mm. I won't have fun, I wouldn't do it. To bring this back to the analogy that you used earlier that just came through so clearly for people that are visual like me, the ship that's sailing true north towards that thing that you said, the waves are going to come one way or another. You either turn into them or they turn into you. (laughs) And it's a lot better to turn into a wave than it is to let the wave hit you. So So what you're saying is you're very consciously turning into waves, creating those challenges so that those challenges aren't happening to you. You're creating them. Yeah. And so that also makes it a choice for what my mind, soul, psychology is going to get drawn towards, right? It's like, oh, I've created that challenge because I'm having fun with it. It makes it easier for me to tackle the challenge because I called it upon myself. Nobody else told me to do it. Uh, Nobody else is telling me to do nothing. I am saying this is my ownership. I'm going to take ownership of this and I'm having fun doing it. It makes it so much easier for me. It usually tends to be a lot more easier as a practice, as a thing that's happening too. So very right. Like the ship analogy works really well with this too. Yeah. So then when you decided to leave Mind Valley as CEO in 2015 and you said, okay, my work life, my career, like I'm really happy with what I'm doing, what I'm creating, everything else, not so much. And then you went and you created this dream partnership and you started to sort of fill out these other areas of life. First of all, could you give us a breakdown of like what are the areas that you use? So that maybe we can start to write this down, pull out a notepad right now as we're listening to this and start kind of doing this for ourselves. And I've done this in many different ways and I'm sure other people have as well. I would love to know what you do for yourself. And I get that it's contextual and there's a million ways to do it. I would love to know what you did for this because you've clearly done it very successfully in the last seven Mm -hmm. years. And how did you go about discovering that step on the journey and, and having courage? Did you do it all at once? Did you do it piece by piece? And maybe just tell me that story. So let's start with the story. Once I recognized that I wasn't living the life that I wanted to, and I'm not saying anybody, it's not a recommended step, but what I did was I quit everything. I quit my relationship, I quit my job, I quit everything. I said, I'm going to just go and give myself space. So one thing also that I've started to believe over time is that if you want magic to happen, you need space. Because there's only that much you can think. And after that, it's just magic. So you can think a little bit. You can think, okay, this strategically, this is what I should kind of do. But then if you don't have any space, what happens is you're just doing so much that you can't see something or not have something happen that otherwise would not have happened. But if you leave open space, what happens is organic conversations happen. You go to places that otherwise you wouldn't go. And then suddenly something pops and that's just magic because that could not have been in your radar in any any way. A lot of partnerships that have happened for us were magic. There was not planned. We were not strategically thinking about it. It was just, we had space, we were partying or we were talking to someone or we were chilling somewhere and somebody we met, we're like, we like this person. Let's do something, partnership, right? But it wasn't designed that way. It was not by design, it was by magic. So that's one thing that I truly believe. So my process was a little bit silly in some way, but I also built courage over time where I know I'm going to be okay, irrespective. It's just more about saying, am I willing to say, 
let's go, let's free fall, let's see where we land, or am I not willing to do that right now? And at that moment, I was like, I'm going to free fall. I'm going to see what happens because I don't feel I have something holding me back to say that I'm not safe or doesn't make me feel safe. I was just like, I'm going to go for it. So that was how I started. Uh, Not recommended for everyone. It requires a certain level of faith in the universe, if I may, or God, Jesus, whatever you believe in. But it requires that faith to know that you're going to be okay because otherwise you're going to get trashed out in seven days or less because you'll be like, holy shit, where do I pay the bills and so forth. So that was not my case though. That was step one. Step two was to, and this was more directed by my partner, Nita, where she came across the categories that she thinks are very good to, to identify and work with. And I really like them. Previously to that, I would just do free flow and let my intuition guide me versus uh, have categories to really go which category I want to work on or not. But she gave some really interesting categories. I'm going to try and recall. We usually have a template we follow, so I, I don't know if I have it on my phone. But there were definitely health, love relationships, social relationships, money, family, experiences, spiritual experiences. There's one I'm missing right now. There are eight categories, basically. At least that's what I recall off right now, where, where we were like, these are the eight things we want to see where we want to go or what we want to create. Mm-hmm. And then we would also further define what needs to happen now for those things to happen, right? What are we deciding right now or mm-hmm. the next 12 months, like immediate future, basically. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you would ask that question in each category at 75, who would I want to be in these categories? No, we, we, we start by next five years. Okay. Yeah, and that's what we do as a practice. The 75-year exercise only came in last year. Mm. Before that, it wasn't asking for 75. It wasn't that long term. It was more like five years, three years, five years into the future. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. So then I'll offer one other thing that I've recently started that I know you're going to love. And I'm curious if there's anything there. And then if not, I have another big question for you. At the end of every month, I open up a couple hours Usually doesn't take a couple hours, but I open up that space so that there's enough time for it. And I will write down and think about, spend time with, walking, whatever, even have conversations with friends about who I've been this month, Mm. what I've allowed to come into my life this month, what I've had a hard time allowing to come in this month, but has wanted to. And I reflect on all the beautiful ways I've shown up, all the wonderful things I've experienced, and all the ways I've shown up that I I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I would like to be different than that next month. And I'd like to, this to be different. And so I basically establish who my identity has been this month and who I would like my identity to be next month. And I established that kind of using your question, which was with children, and obviously I have some experience with the kids, how would I start a routine now that would become such a habit of mine that when they were seven or 17, that they would just naturally have a habit that would allow them and invite them to really shift their identity radically and know that that's a normal thing and that's an okay thing to shift radically, instantaneously, so that they don't necessarily have the same challenges of like wanting to slowly become a new person once they've had a revelation. Mm -hmm. They can just become that new person and even make it routine. And so that's the practice at the last day of the month now for me. Mm-hmm. is who have I been and who do I want to be and give myself full permission to just change entirely every month in any way that feels compelling. Mm. I think that's fantastic review practice. I don't do it, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it sounds very fascinating. Why is it so important for you to change rapidly? Mm. So it's more of an invitation. Mm-hmm. It may not necessarily... Some There's actually times where I don't change much at all. It just gives me permission to look at it like that. Gives me permission to change anything, you know? Because sometimes, I'll give you an example, the dojo, right? So right now we have that brand, the Thrive Dojo. And over the last two weeks, and this is something that'll be a big reflection today, there's been a whole new brand sort of forming and developing, right? And this brand is a much, much bigger concept and idea. And it's not not really something I thought about. It's really something that showed up. And something that kind of came into me or or even something that I revealed like archaeology, like slowly was like digging something up and then got a huge chamber that was revealed. And I was like, oh, okay, that is the evolution. Just feels like um, I see the island. Mm-hmm. You know, I see one of the islands that the ship is sailing past that was meant to be discovered. 
And so a part of me, a lot of these conscious beliefs are like, okay, I need to transition this. I need to do this thing slowly. I need to figure this out. I need to make it perfect, right? Mm -hmm. I need to really dust it all off and make it really inviting so that everyone can come join me on the party on this island now instead of the last island that we were on. With this practice, I now say, is this serving the purpose that I'm here for better? Mm. Is this allowing me to be more of myself in a really profound way? Does this feel, yeah, enthusiasm and, and curiosity? Does it fill me with, with that higher, does it invite me to step into a higher vibration, more positive emotions, all, all of those things? And does it serve the people that I serve? Mm. And if the answer is yes to all of that, I invite myself to just go mm-hmm. and to just do that now instead of a process, instead of making it perfect, right? And the same thing with video content. You know, sometimes I'll get an idea, right? Or a question that I'm going to ask you. Sometimes I want to lead up to that question and ask a series of questions that will lead to this thing, which I'm going to ask you that question after this, mm-hmm. where I've been leading to a certain question that I know is going to be really profound and like might be a really simple and even funny answer from you. And I know it's going to hit just so perfectly. So sometimes it is a sequential thing. Sometimes there's steps or paradigm shifts that need to happen. And sometimes there's not. And I've just recognized that over time. And so it's an exercise to do at the end of the month to invite anything that could be fast to be fast. Okay, so it's it's an option. The reason why I asked that clarifying question is because you said you want your kids to have the capability of being able to rapidly change their identity. And I was just curious about that as to yeah. why that was important. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that. Personal experience being one of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think in my experience of the kids, there were times where they would get into really new things and they would like start to shift, but they'd be like, almost you could see or feel the discomfort in wanting to be the old way and wanting to be the new way at the same time. And I could see that that old way was not them anymore, but there was some attachment to how they had been and like the habits or the hobbies that they were doing. And I was like, no, absolutely. Like just be the new thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I just saw this as a practice that I wanted to cultivate for myself. Yes, for myself and also to serve them in the future mm-hmm. so that there would be this thing that seemed normal to them because we established it. And ah, gosh, that leads me down a whole nother question with you and Nita and these beautiful ceremonies and all the things that you guys do that I know Ari and Isla are just going to see as normal. And it is totally not normal. <laughs> you know, it's it's completely not the standard deviation of humanity. You guys are just incredible. And like the people that they're surrounded by are just incredible. And they'll never know the difference until they're much older. And they'll be like, oh my God, mom and dad are amazing. <laughs> and they'll learn maybe. that over time. Yeah, yeah, maybe, Ooh, nice. maybe, yeah. yeah. Amazing in some ways, right? Yeah. So the thing that you brought up way earlier that I want to ask and end with, you said that maybe the most important thing is the philosophy of life. What is your philosophy of life? And it's not to say that we're going to take this on for ourselves, but contextually speaking, to reveal like your paradigm and the way that you see the universe. Like you said, mm-hmm. you left everything, right? You mm-hmm. just quit everything seven years ago. There's a philosophy that was guiding you and you said like you just had a lot of faith in the universe. So I wonder if you were to put into words, what is the philosophy that you've grown to have? Hmm. I think I'll have to frame it to really be able to capture everything. And I've never really made an effort to do that because nobody's ever asked me that question and I've never tried to write down my philosophy, but I think my fundamental, the fundamental core of my philosophy, it leans on hope. It, it is on that there's everything that is happening is for the better, that the people are for the better, society is for the better, I am for the better. And so we must all live in the greatest joys of our life because everything is better or is getting better. And I have a lot of hope for for everything. And that's my foundational philosophy to approach anything. And that kind of leans into everything that we talked about during the episode as well. Why is it that there is enough coins on the table? Well, because there is more hope, right? There is more hope into our success together. Why is it that you can have infinite capacity as a person? It's because it is representative of more hope in somebody's life. And being able to always lean into that is, is I think, what forms the core of my being. 
is to say that there is hope of whatever we want to create and however we want to create and that nobody really is a bad person. They may have bad ways of showing up, which is also based on my own personal perspective and understanding of the universe and and the world right now, or because of bad circumstances. Nobody essentially trying to do something bad. That is all representative of hope. It is all representative of hope to say everybody can be a millionaire. Everybody can be as successful as they want to be. Everybody can be as loving as they want to be. Everybody can find love. There's always hope. That is the foundation of everything. I am starting to, as a philosophy, also say that there's a point where we need to stop talking about our past. Because past is great education, but as more society changes faster, the harder it has a real foundation in what our present is. It's, it's, it's less and less hold that our past has in our present because of how we have evolved as society. We can we can continue to, and in my field, it's very popular to talk about your past. So it's counter to that belief. Uh, I'm not saying there's not traumatic past and they must not be healed. Of course, they must be healed and so forth. But I think we give a little too much importance to it. Uh, society is changing too fast. Our worlds are changing too fast. Our access to things that can change our lives is very fast. You can hire a coach right now, right now. You couldn't have found one five years ago, right? Or it would be really expensive. You can get a therapist on your phone right now. You would be looked down upon if you had a therapist a few years ago. So that's my other philosophy that I'm leaning more and more into. And I think it forms a lot of my understanding of the world and allows me to suspend a lot more things a lot more easily. Like I can give up on something if I don't enjoy it in a heartbeat. Like I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Because my past doesn't define my future, my present does. And so I'm willing to play that in con- and also leaning into that there is enough hope in the world that anything can be done and anything can be created given the time and effort that it requires. Mm. I want to reflect one other thing at you that Nita has said, uh, not on the show before, but to me in person about you, that I just recognize and, and want to like prop up there for other people to to see and know about you that fits into this philosophy of life. And it's something I've heard you talk about again, like in conversation just at your house or something. Mm-hmm. And Nita says, one of the things she loves so much about you is that you always show up fresh. Like, so my monthly exercise I talk about, it's essentially like she says, you do it every hour. <laughs> and the way that that shows up in relationship for her and why you guys are couple goals is because She says, you are always so curious and curiosity is the thing that you always show up with no matter what she's going through. And she like told me sometimes that she was really in like a a fury even and you just showed up curious and just asked questions and you asked them in a way that was very non-presuming. It was very much like, I just want to understand, right? And I feel like that's reflected in everything that you've said today and every answer that you've said is that setting the ship to true north and just seeing what happens, turning into the waves and just seeing what happens. And if a wave does hit you on the side, that's okay too. And just being present for what happens and just always setting that true north and just being available and present. And I feel like that's the overarching message of everything you've said today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you.